Philippians 1. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. What a beautiful start to a letter, yeah? It's easy for us to take a look at this beautiful writing, inspired writing, and, uh, and forget the, the reality of the setting. So maybe just close your eyes for a second. It's quiet. It's really dark. There's a musty smell in the air. There's a, a, a dripping sound in a puddle. There's movement, and the movement is matched, human physical movement, by the clinking of metal chains. It's a boring place. It's a forgotten place. And Paul sits, waiting. It was called the Mamertine Prison, the place that Paul was kept when he wrote this letter during his first trip to Rome. Uh, There's a Roman historian named Sallust, and he said that uh, he lived in the generation before Paul. And he wrote about this prison, and he said it should be called House of Darkness. He says that it's, its neglect, darkness, and stench gave it, quote, a hideous and terrifying appearance when he wrote about it. About 50 A.D., Paul and Silas had traveled to a region, a small town or small city known as Philippi. Uh, Paul says it was pretty significant. I think he was trying to be kind to the people at the time. Uh, it wasn't a huge city by any stretch uh, or the capital. But during their time in traveling, they shared about Jesus. And at some point, um, they were in this outdoor place of prayer. And uh, there's this woman named Lydia, and she responds to this message. Lydia was already seeking after God, but she didn't have the knowledge and the, the, the texture of Jesus yet in that faith. Okay? And so, so she, she hears and responds, and she becomes a disciple. And as her family hears the same good news, they all respond, and they all become baptized. And, and the church in Philippi is born. This is about the year 50. Okay? 50, 51, something like that. So Paul keeps in contact with them, but he continues on. And the years go by, and eventually 
he ends up in Rome, which is where he wanted to be because it's kind of the epicenter of so much of, of the, the, the Greek world that he saw that this was an opportunity for the, the kingdom of God to advance in significant ways. Um, the great Roman fire, though, had swept through Rome and it had destroyed much of the city. And Nero was blamed for starting that fire because people said that he wanted to burn the place down so that he could build the city exactly as he wanted. Whether that's true or not, we don't know. We think it wasn't. But Nero did not want this going around, so he needed scapegoats. And Christians fit the perfect bill. So he decided that the, the, the reason for the fires would be blamed on this pesky group of kind of pagans uh, that didn't believe in the Roman gods. And so Christians became persecuted pretty, pretty badly, and certainly Christians who would spread any type of good news about Jesus and invite people to, to actually respond and become Christians or, at the time, followers of the way. All right? And so, so Paul is put in prison for spreading this message in a, in a dark, damp holding cell, and it was likely right here that this letter emerges, probably through spoken word to a visitor. Um, jails were not kept as punishment, they were kept as holding until there was judgment. So a jail, no one would go to jail unless they were just forgotten, which happened, but nobody would go to jail as a sentence, they would go to jail to await sentencing. So Paul would eventually be sentenced to what, um, what we would call home arrest for about, for a couple years, and it could have been written there, but either way it was close to this moment of being in the Mamertine prison. Uh, and it's likely now that 10 years have passed. This is about 62, maybe, A.D., that this letter emerges, that Paul writes to the Philippian church, okay? And, and Paul has been through a lot in this time. He's been beaten multiple times. He's been left for dead. There have been miraculous moments. There have been frustrating moments. There have been times where he's been at the end of his rope, where he's felt really, really weak. There's times that he's felt great and seen God work in all of these different ways. And he's looking back after he's been through a lot, and the end game is that he's sitting in prison. And yet, the spark of God remains in him. Uh, his, his kingdom creativity hasn't been snuffed out at all. His conviction in Christ has not left him hopeless. So he refuses to let that current state define his ability to be used by God and to bring glory to Jesus. In fact, he sees himself as just as useful as ever. Multiple times later in this letter and in the other prison letters, he's like, oh yeah, you guys have no idea how good this jail gig has been for the kingdom. Like, like people are seeing my attitude and they're saying, what's with this? And jailers are coming to Christ and all of these cool things are happening. And so, so Paul is able to see purpose and meaning in all of it. Okay? Uh, it's, it's really, really neat. And he even says later in the book of, of Philippians here, he says, just, just in case you're worried, he says right in the last chapter, he says, just in case you're worried, I'm kind of living the dream. Like I've learned how to be content in any and every situation. Doesn't matter how much food I've got. Doesn't matter if I'm free. Like, like this is it. I'm with Jesus. Jesus is with me. We're still doing stuff. I'm writing to encourage you. So I, I've loved the encouragement that you're trying to send me. They've tried to send him some money and resources, but they're praying for him. And he's like, this is, this is great. Just so you know, I don't need any of your stuff. I love it. It's so nice. Shows me your generosity. I don't need any of it. I'm totally content. I'm good. It's amazing. Paul, Paul is an absolutely fascinating figure in so many of these letters. So anyways, what he does is he writes a letter to all the Philippians because it appears that Lydia has been a pretty good pastor or host of this young church or whatever because the church has been growing for this past 10 years. But he wants to write a letter to them and he looks back and he looks forward to the things that he mentions 
Um, and, and, and the things that he mentions when he looks back and he looks forward, they're relevant to us today. So the reason that I want us to just sit with a small little passage of, of one of the small letters that Paul wrote to a young church is that they were about 10 years old. We're about 10 years old. We're a little less than that. And he writes to them and he says, listen, I just want you to know how grateful I am to God on one hand. And then in the next sentence he says, essentially, and how confident I am in God in the next phase. So he talks that every single time I pray, I'm so full of gratitude, right? I, I give so much thanks to God because of this partnership idea. And I want us today, as we, as we think about what it means to kind of reflect meaningfully on the church, and, and not on the church as in some self-aggrandizing way, but to say, okay, where, where has God continued to use us? Where has God been faithful in the past? Where can we be grateful for what God's up to? And where can we be confident that God is going to continue to do things in us and through us into the future? Because the, the one who begins a good work, Paul says, is going to carry it through. You stay on the path. Don't worry. God's, God's going to continue leading. He will, he will continue to do beautiful and good stuff all the way to the day of fullness one day that's going to come. And so, so I want to just mention a few things here because later we're actually going to talk, I'm going to open it to a few people and then to the rest of us to talk about where we're looking back with gratitude and where we're looking forward with confidence um, in, in what God is up to, okay? So, um, so the first thing that I was struck by here is all of the language of partnership. And I don't know if you can catch all of this, but I just want you to sit there and notice that in our world today, we tend to think that some Christians are more important than others. We tend to think that the ones with the microphones on tend to be, you know, kind of the, the A-list Christians, and then we've got others that go to church, okay? This is not true. Please, please, friends, do not let this be true. I'm begging you as, as your pastor, Okay? This is not the way the church is intended to function. I think it's fascinating that when Paul writes a letter, he does not write specifically to the leadership. He writes to all and then includes the leadership of the church in it. Okay, whoops, that's supposed to be on the slide before. I forgot that, uh, that that's not all right here. There we go. Um, this letter is from Paul and Timothy. I'm writing to all of God's holy people. I love that. The first thing he says is all these people are holy. They, they've all been made holy. All of the people that are following Jesus have been uniquely set apart for, for a purpose. So don't lose that, friends. First thing, I'm writing to all of you because all of you are a part of God's holy people. Peter will later say you are a holy priesthood means that every single one of you has the responsibility and the opportunity to be the ones who go before God on behalf of the people and lead the way. Everybody. Okay, so he writes to them, and then he says, I give thanks, and the thing that he's giving thanks for is to God and uh, to God about all of these people who have been partners. And I love this. He's talking to the whole church. And he says, you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time that you first heard it till now. And we learn later that the good news looks like outward love to others and inward transformation in the spirit. It's always a both hand, right? Always, always, always a both hand. So there's this language that says, you are my partners. All of God's people are partners in spreading the good news. Now this, is, this should not be a shocker. But we need to be reminded of some of the most basic things sometimes about Christian faith. All disciples are intended to be partners in the expanding and extending of God's kingdom. 
every disciple should be out there loving the world in such a way that it opens the door to more people becoming disciples. This is what it means to be a disciple. And so Paul is, is reminding them of this and, and, and encouraging this. And I thought about partnership and how we view partnership. And it seems to me that partnership um, can only be experienced if two criteria are met. Um, the first criteria is that you have to be working um, toward the same ultimate goal, right? So to consider someone a partner in something, let's get our little people. Okay, that one doesn't have a waist, shoot, and a tail. All right, um, so they're going to hold hands. You can be happy, but they're both, they're both set together on the same goal, all right? And so, so when you have the same ultimate goal, all right, then, then there's a sense of partnership. When, when, when you know that what you're both going after is ultimately the same thing, then you feel like, yes, we are journeying together. You and I, we are, we are on the same path, okay? And the second thing um, that, that partnership can only be experienced if, if this um, second criteria is met. Oh, by the way, Paul talks about this um, at another time too in, uh, in Philippians, just a chapter later. He, he says, listen, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ— any comfort from his love, any common sharing with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion. Essentially, if you're going to be a disciple at all, then make my joy complete by, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and mind. So in other words, continue to move toward Jesus together and don't let anything else get in the way. That is where my joy as your leader would be made complete. I know you're different. I know not everyone's life is the same, but continue to move as you can with the same love for people. And that will connect your spirit and your minds together. So there's that beauty. So the second thing, um, the second thing that partnership requires, so you need to have the same ultimate goal that you're working toward, um, but you also have to acknowledge that each of you has unique contributions to make. That's the other side of partnership, right? So one side is we're actually working toward the same goal, but the second side is that we have different gifts, right? So, so... Let's do this again. So somebody is really good with their hands. And somebody is really good with their feet. The language here that we're talking about, Paul talks about in his, in his letter to the Corinthian church in, uh, in chapter 12, where he says, listen, God has placed the parts of the body, and he's talking about the body as in the church, the body of Christ. The parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And this is right after he gets done saying, listen, some of you have certain roles and certain gifts that you're going to play. Others have different roles and gifts. Those things are not problematic. They're complementary. It's beautiful that you are wired in different ways because that's what partnership requires. None of you are the whole enchilada, right? None of you are, none of you are Jesus. But the crazy thing is theologically together we are. That's a really radical concept, but that's biblical theology. None of you alone are Jesus. You can't be Jesus to somebody. We, we, that, that was a huge phrase that we used in like the ministry in like the early 2000s and the late 90s. Be Jesus to somebody. I still use that from time to time. But now I'm like, well, together we can be Jesus. Maybe I can reflect a part of Jesus at that one moment to somebody. But I, I think I'm, I'm maybe, maybe a, a little less, uh, 
a little less arrogant on, on my ability to be the Jesus in someone's life. But, but so for partnership to happen, this is what needs to happen. So, so there's a similarity of what our hopes are together, but there's also an acknowledgement that we are different and unique, and both of those are beautiful and important and necessary. There is such beauty in the ways that we are wired. Each of us, when we seek to extend God's kingdom, will do it differently. Okay, friends? Each of us, when we seek to extend God's kingdom, we will do it differently. That's why we're all needed. Last week, I spent my whole time talking about India, and you're probably going to hear it peppered throughout like the next two years. But um, I want to tell you about Prasad for a second. Because Pastor Prasad, you've, if you've been around at the right weeks, you've heard the videos that we've put up from Pastor Prasad. He lives in a region called Petaru, and it's in the north, northern kind of part of the state. I was in the city with our microchange women a lot. But our sewing sisters, this is where the sewing sisters are. So that when we purchased 17 sewing machines last year um, to, to equip these women who were living in really poor conditions to go back um, and, and use their trade to just make a little bit of income, um, Prasad was the one who started that program. We came alongside him. You want to know an amazing, did I, I don't think I mentioned this to you last, year, last week because I didn't talk about Prasad at all. But... Um, Prasad had promised, there were 31 women in the program, 30 women in the program. He had 13 sewing machines at their church, at this little church building. And he promised these women that if they got through the three-month training, and they do Bible studies in the morning, they share meals. A bunch of the women had to walk so far that they just lived there for the three months. Um, but he promised all of them that they would be able to take a sewing machine with them home. But he couldn't find any means to do that. So Prasad's got one of the only vehicles in the entire, like, area that he does ministry in. He's got this old four-by-four thing that is just really beat up and had a horrible headache after three hours of, of driving over boulders with him. But, um, but anyways, we found out, and I had not known this until the trip, but we found out that the, the day before we became aware of this, he had put his vehicle up for sale so that he could find a way to purchase these, as many of these sewing machines as possible. And, uh, and that's, the type of, that's the type of love Prasad has he and his wife and his two children, for, for these, these women and for this village. So anyways, we had a, a blast getting to know each other, and he traveled with us, and he actually, so, so when we went up to his village, I was like a fish out of water, right? I did not know the customs. I didn't know when to take my shoes off or what was appropriate to say or ask and what was not. Um, I, didn't, I don't speak Telugu, so he had to be the go-between for everything, but he also had to be like, do this, don't do this this is fine, chill out, you know, all of those things. And, and we just, I just learned to rely on him. But I also learned so much from the way that he related to the, the people in his villages. So he, he now trains a group of like 20 pastors. They go out into the villages and share about the love of Jesus. It's really, really cool what they do. And it's all focused on discipleship. It's not, because he said there's a, a lot of Christians out there that are acting Christians. That was the language that he used. He said there's acting Christians. He said, I was an acting Christian for a long time. So you act, you sing, and you're acting because you've seen it on, on a video, and so you know you're, how you're supposed to worship. Or you've seen someone preach there, you know, on TV, and so you know how you're supposed to preach. But your life doesn't match it. And he said 95% of the Christians out here are acting Christians in our region. So we want to be honest, truthful Christians. We want to be truthful pastors. And he used this truthful language that was really beautiful. But um, so, so anyways, I had to rely on him for all of this to just lead and let me see how things were done. And it was beautiful. And then he came with us to the other side of the country. He flew with us. He doesn't have a lot of experience with airplanes. So he's sitting beside me. 
during, you know, when, the, when you're in the air and the, uh, the landing gear starts to come out, and you know how everything starts shaking and rumbling, feels like the plane's falling apart if you're not familiar with flying. So he's clutching this and kind of looking at me, and I'm, I'm saying, here's the process, here's what's going on, just trust me, it's all fine, you know? And then we began talking, and, and the point is that throughout the trip, there was this give and take of times where I needed to rely on Prasad, and times where Prasad would rely on me. Times where, I, where, where Prasad would say, here's how we're doing discipleship. What do you think about that? And I said, oh, that's, that's a cool idea. Have you thought about this? And, and I would say, here's how we're trying to do discipleship at LifePath. Um, what do you think about that? Are we missing the mark just because we're in the West and we think that we've got everything together? Like, what are you finding is effective to actually make disciples of Jesus? And there was this give and take. And there was this beautiful thing because we knew, and I found this with so many of the Christ followers that I met and, and the leaders that I met, there was the same ultimate goal of seeing people changed by Jesus and loving the world better in such compassionate, awesome ways. But then there was just the acknowledgement that, wow, I could never do what Prasad does. In fact, one time I was supposed to preach there, and I, and I used a lot of big words in English because it was supposed to be an English-speaking group, but not like first language. And Prasad gets up in his broken English language after me, and he pauses like three seconds between every single word, and the group is spellbound. They had no idea what I said. But Prasad, who is also speaking his second language when he speaks English is using the exact language that they know. And all he did was say, here's my story. I didn't have peace with God. I didn't have purpose in my life. Here's what's changed. I bet some of you don't have peace. I bet some of you are seeking after purpose. And you just saw the heads nod. I didn't get any head nods during my 10 minutes. And I just realized, wow, the right gifts in the right places make us partners on opposite sides of the globe. How amazing and beautiful is the way that God has created the body of Christ to function. Um, that's why we're all needed. Um, what if we not only saw each other as partners in the good news, but actually acted like it? What, what if we like, embrace this constant spurring, like truly embraced this constant spurring on of one another toward love and good deeds? What if our kind of modus operandi in, in the world... And in the Christian life was, we are partners, I am for you, keep it up, how can I help? What if that was the way that we talked? We are partners, I am for you, keep it up, how can I help? What, how, how would that change the way we're in a world and in a culture right now in the U.S. that has taught us to understand everybody through the lens of what is wrong with them and what is different from us, between us and them. That is how we look at things. I traveled on this trip with two Canadians. Believe me, it is a unique thing to the United States. We look at, at, at the world and at everybody else through the lens of opposition, and it's sinful. It's problematic, and it will kill our ability to be people of the kingdom. And so, so we have got to learn how to—let's start with the church, for crying out loud. Let's start with one another and say, okay— we are partners. Let's work together to, to reveal Jesus. How are you trying to do that? How can I encourage you? And that's a, a big part of what our groups, uh, what our meal communities and other groups that we try to have here are, are supposed to be about. But what if we all committed to that together? What if we all committed to figuring out how the kingdom could be moving through us? Uh, Frederick Buchner in his, in his book, Wishful Thinking, says that the place, and many of you know this quote because it's made a huge impact on your life, 
The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place God's called you to is the place where the world's deep, or where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. What if our job was to spur one another to discover that and then to encourage one another along that path when we do? So that's Paul's side a little bit. Let's think about the church's side, uh, the Philippian church. What if it's not like what we imagine? We imagine the Philippian church because there's a lot of positives that Paul affirms in them, but we imagine them kind of as often like a happy, clappy group. Um, you know, what if, what if everybody wasn't all on the same page? What if, what if everybody wasn't passionately on fire to be spreaders of good news? What if um, some of them don't feel very much like partners in the gospel at all? And what if Paul is writing this not just to affirm them, but to remind them of what their calling is actually supposed to be? Because sometimes you got to speak it into existence, right? I got that from a TV preacher. No. Um, sometimes, sometimes we have to speak what we believe to be true that helps it become true in the lives of those that we speak it to, right? There are things that I want to see in my children that I don't see in my children. But when I get it, maybe even the tiniest glimpse, I speak it into them, hoping that they'll grab it and hold on to that and become that a little bit more next time, Right? And so, so what if Paul is, is writing to remind them of their calling and not just affirm them in it? What if part of this point is don't forget who you are, church? Don't forget who you are. This, this letter is seen very, as very hopeful, and it is, but it's also really honest, right? Paul is writing from jail. The Philippian church, we find out later in this, in this uh, little letter, is tempted with a lot of things. They're tempted to grumble and argue. They're tempted to become proud, to be over-anxious. They're struggling to trust God. They are real people trying to work out the gospel just like you. The, the problem is that we, we sometimes oversimplify the Bible and we take the humanity out of the Bible when we do that. Okay? There was pain and there was hope. Life was hard. So hard. And God was faithful. Paul did not see the pain of one's life as a hindrance to the gospel, but rather it was the canvas that the art was created on. That was what made the picture pop. The difficulty of life. That was what showed that this was real. That this hope was true. That God's grace was actually present. So many of you are in the midst of brokenness right now on some level. There's pain there's been loss. There's relationships that have fallen apart. There's depression. There's deep anger and hurt at our political realities right now. There's fear and there's financial uncertainty for many of you. There's the challenge of raising kids. There's the confusion of entering new life stages. Personally, there's the frustration of just not being sure where you quite fit in life, in our community maybe even. There, there are things that limit what you want to do. There's maybe even things that, that limit what you feel God's stirring you to do. And it's hard, and life is hard. And sometimes we miss that the scriptures perceive that reality, and they receive it, and they understand it. This, this is on every page of our Bible. It's not by ignoring these realities that Paul looks out and expresses gratitude in what God has done and confidence in what God will do. It's in the midst of those realities. Sometimes in spite of those realities, Paul is able to see the beauty. 
and believe that the work of God is continuing. Look at all the hope that's being done, Paul is saying throughout this book. Look at how despite my imprisonment, my separation from you, and your stumbling to learn how to be a church, look at how we are partners in the good news even so. Maybe this morning you need to be reminded that you are a partner and identify the amazing ways that God continues to use us and our broken and beautiful church to partner in a message of grace and love and compassion. Maybe you need to look around with, with fresh eyes of encouragement for one another, like Paul did, praying with gratitude and deciding again to be people of good news. Maybe that's it. But this is the uncomfortable part. Uh, maybe, maybe you're not a partner in the good news of Jesus making things right right now. Like maybe you need to be honest about that. Maybe faith has become lifeless and routine, or maybe it's become all about your personal journey and not about being an agent of God's hope and good news, or, or maybe you've just been consuming. And, and if so, own it. And maybe hear Paul's words to the church as a subtle challenge to be what the church was meant to be, to be a participant, get inspired. You're a disciple. You're meant to be a partner. So be filled with gratitude at what God is up to in and among this tiny little broken pocket of the global church that is Life Path. Be inspired. Be filled with gratitude and be filled with confidence at what God will do. Certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. What a beautiful challenge. Because God who began the good work in you is going to carry it on. Not you alone, but God in you. That's such good news, yeah? Yeah? It's good news to me. Uh, we're going to tell some stories for a couple minutes. And so this, this, is, this is asking what would happen if we took Paul's example and used this model as a regular part of our lives. How can we identify where God has been at work and express gratitude? And how can we anticipate where God will move and, ex- and express confidence? All right? So, um, so what we're going to do is... Uh, is I've got three of you that I invited. We're going to take a look just at, at some of the areas that we want to give gratitude to God for over the course of this year at Life Path, some of the things, ways that God's been at work. So the three of you, why don't you come on up? Um, uh, yeah, we're going to do uh, Drew and Lacey and then Jonathan. And so, um, actually, that might not be the order that I have some pictures. We'll start with, let's see. I do, I have pictures. It was really hard to find three pictures because... I'm horrible with my cell phone at capturing stuff. So um, anyways, so, so what you're going to hear is just some words of, of, uh, of where God's been at work and maybe um, what these three are grateful to God for at, at being a participant in some of the things that God's done through, through and in our church. So first, um, we're just going to talk. This is the only picture I took of our men's retreat. Um, but uh, Jonathan, Jonathan's going to just share um, a moment about, uh, about yeah, where, where he's thankful to God for, uh, for, God's, for the work of Jesus during this men's retreat, which was the first time we ever did it this year. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jonathan. And, um, yep, and I'm going to talk about why I'm grateful to Jesus for the ways 
He worked in us at Life Pass Men Re- Men's Retreat this past fall. Um, I'm glad Keith gave me the opportunity, the opportunity to do this because I remember how immensely grateful I was to God leaving this retreat for the ways he worked in me and in the other men who attended. Um, so I'm just going to mention two, three things about it. So the first thing worth mentioning is connection. In our world that is often super focused on production and how much we are getting done, um, we really shouldn't minimize the value of simple shared experiences. Um, things like long car rides up there and back. You know, it's up in Lebanon, PA. So it's a nice two-hour drive each way, which gave us plenty of time to talk and connect. Volleyball games, you know, with varying levels of uh, competitiveness. So, which just always brings out a lot of laughs. Uh, standing around the campfire, you know, at night, talking about how Adam was kicked out of Creation Fest, the largest, <laughs> largest Christian music festival of the year, because people legitimately thought he was a terrorist going to rocket somebody. Um, or, you know, listening over breakfast to Henry uh, regale us on the story of how his grandfather's entire family narrowly escaped communist Russia over a frozen river in the dead of winter into China. I mean, awesome stuff. Um, I also learned about Marina wool socks from Ben. Thank you, Ben. My life has been changed. So um, can wear those for like days at a time. Um, these shared experiences provide something I know every one of us deep down longs for, and that is connection with each other. Every human being longs for that. That's one of LifePath's main tenets, and I'm so grateful for the way this retreat created space for that to happen naturally. The second thing I was thankful for was the intentionality Keith and Dwayne brought to planning this weekend. It seemed to me there was a perfect balance of time together in prayer, in discussion, in learning, and in fun. But there was also plenty of time to be alone with Jesus. Again, stillness is so important, and we so often disregard it because of the pride of life that says we need to go, go, go. For those of you who didn't know, the theme of the teachings and discussions of that weekend was the rule of life. Keith and Dwayne led us through a series of teachings that helped us focus on defining the foundation of who we want to be. What is our personal rule of life? I can't describe how meaningful this was to me, and I know the work I did there is something I am going to carry with me the rest of my life. The last thing I want to mention um, is the unity in Christ I saw among us all during the group discussions. I was absolutely amazed at such diverse philosophical backgrounds continually focused on what we all have in uh, common in Christ. We never were pulled off track by arguments or differences. It truly felt like we were all working together to help one another become more like Jesus. And for that, I am so, so grateful. The way I felt coming home from that weekend is how I imagine heaven will feel, but constantly, more fully, and forever. To be absolutely overflowing with the same joy, happiness, thankfulness, and complete satisfaction. Thanks, Jonathan. Lacey is, uh, is going to give some words on, uh, she's a part of one of our compassion teams uh, that was started just at the beginning of this year. We have two teams with Family Promise, and, uh, and there was a new one started this year that was specifically focused on the hospitality center getting off the ground. Um, many of you have come and served at Family Promise, and um, we're grateful for the chance to join God's work with them. For anyone who has come, you know that each time we serve, it's different families. Every night that someone is there, it's different. It could be a few of the families are missing, different energies that people are bringing to the evening after their long days. Uh, We join them at a very hard time in their life. 
and we have about an hour and a half in the evening to eat dinner, a meal that someone in our church has prepared, and sit with them, talk with them if they want. And from my experience, oftentimes they don't really want to. It's just uh, just a different a different experience. Um, but through that, we offer a glimpse of God's love and. It's a physical manifestation of everything Keith was saying this morning, being the body of Christ, and that's something that I've been grateful to see a few times over and over, like, just, I'm bringing what may be my strengths, joining to other people's strengths for that evening. Some of us bring food, some of us bring energy and extrovertism, if that's a word. (laughs) Um, yeah, and some bring a gentle connection. So the more you serve and sit with people and, and being with each of our uh, family members here from the church, you see more of them and their, the way that they reflect Jesus. And yeah, that's the, it's, it really does show the more complete body as we're serving. Yeah, thanks, Lacey. We... Uh, We've had, I, I just mentioned this briefly, but we've had one team that's comprised of the Davenports and the Judys and a few others that for years have been faithfully serving. And when a second network started up, um, there was a need for more churches to make it happen. And one of the cool things is that we were able to actually have two networks, which we're the only church in Newcastle County that's actually in both networks, which is really beautiful because we're probably the smallest church out of all 50 or whoever, however many churches partner with this, this movement to end homelessness. So pretty amazing to, to hear that. And so many of you have been involved. And then Drew is going to share about um, we, one of the things that we saw God work, one of the ways that we saw God work, this is also the only picture I had of your MC, um, was a new meal community and actually two new meal communities this year getting off the ground, and, uh, and Drew and Allison host one. And so I asked Drew to share where he's got gratitude to God for what God's done in that, in that group this year. Yeah, thank you. Um, so uh, in considering the things that I'm grateful for in our meal community, um, one that comes to mind, I mean, Elizabeth just touched on, you know, really the early church feel and the family feel of this church, and, and we all feel that being here. Um, but our meal community has really been, I'd say, a family even within a family. Um, and... You know, I'm reminded in Hebrews it talks about where to stir up one another to good works and in love and, and meet continually, right, and encourage one another. And so we get to do that on Monday nights, which is great. Um, and you, you start a meal community and you, you know, there's variables. Are people going to show up? Um, you know, is every week going to be too much? And really Monday night has, has been something we look forward to every week. I think our whole uh, meal community can attest to that. So usually you're not that excited for Mondays, but we get excited to eat <laughs> and, and just talk about this person of Jesus Christ and uh, how he's shaping us. And so that's been wonderful. Uh, and then the other thing uh, that I'm reminded of is just... Um, it, such new experiences. So I've been in, um, you know, small groups before and they say, you know, ah, you're a retiree. Well, check out all these retirees. And, you know, here's a young family and you just have kids. Well, we've got a bunch of young families with kids. And um, I'm really grateful for, you know, running the whole gambit of life experiences. And now, of course, we've got Dexter. So we've added to our number. (laughs) Um, But just very grateful to hear things um, from uh, different folks in our meal community that I would not hear if it was just, you know, young families uh, getting together. And so, yeah, really um, just grateful for Monday nights and getting together, talking about Jesus. And um, yeah, it's just it's such a family within a family. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you all sharing and doing 
remarkably well at your two-minute time limits as well. You guys can learn from the rest of... Uh, and I, I know... Everybody's thinking, you can too, Keith. 